Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Bye, kids. Everybody say bye to the kids. Wave at the kids. Yeah, it's good to have them here with us. The kids are running. Awesome. Good morning, everybody, and good morning to everybody who's online. Really happy to see you in the house. Um, I was gone last week because I was in England doing some Vineyard USA Vineyard worship stuff. Uh, really great trip, but it's really good to be back. Really, really good to be back. Uh, part, of the, part, of the, part of what I was doing last week is I was speaking at a conference in uh, Nottingham, England, and it was a gathering of 900, 900 kids, I say kids, 900 kids between the age of 19 and about 30 who have a heart for ministry in the vineyard, which was just profoundly encouraging. So like this thing that we do here on Sunday mornings, it's actually all around the world. And it's really, really a privilege to get to go be a part of that. But uh, as good as that was, it's always better to come home. So like I normally say, good to go, better to return, you know, and uh, really happy to be here with everybody in this room this morning. Hey, here's what I'd like to do today. If you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 21. We're going to get there in a minute. Um, But before we do that, I I just want to say that this is the first... Sunday of Advent, and you may be thinking, oh yeah, that's great. I'm excited about that. Or you might be thinking, I have no idea what that even means. Uh, The vineyard looks weird this morning. Uh, They've turned it into elf. (laughs) Looks great, doesn't it? Uh, Shout out to Amanda and to to everybody who helped on that team. I'm forgetting who all was on. Jenna, yeah, there's probably some more too. I just don't even know, but they just, they've made the the room magical this morning. But the reason they've done that is because this is uh, the moment in the church calendar uh, just called Advent where we begin to prepare for the coming of the baby Jesus. But it's more than that. Uh, It's not just looking at the story of Jesus's first coming. Advent is about taking the story of the birth of Jesus and using it kind of like a prism. You know, remember those little like light prisms? You can take it and you put it in the light and it takes white light and it can divide it into all the colors of the spectrum. You know what I mean? Advent's a little bit like that. You take the the story of the birth of Jesus and it becomes a way of seeing and looking into not just his first coming, but beginning to anticipate the second coming. Sort of the question uh, that sits inside of Advent is something like this. If he came, if he came once, won't he come again? And he even said that he would come again. And so that's part of what Advent is all about. And because it's a moment where we're going to take four weeks and dig into the Jesus story, especially his first coming, and because we're going to begin to anticipate the second coming of Jesus, there are some some themes that run inside of Advent. And, And there are things that we oftentimes don't talk about in the church. Themes like waiting, uh, themes like longing, things like need. And this is a season where you bring everything that's broken in your life out before the Lord, right? Everything essentially that you need God to fix, right? Everything that would be made right if Jesus came back tomorrow, right? If everything was under the Lordship of Jesus in the way that you would imagine it, 
Uh, how might things be different in this world? Those are the things that we bring before God in this season. So it's not so much this time where we have uh, cozy feelings. Uh, that's, that's more of the secular version of Christmas. The Advent and uh, the version of Christmas that the scripture gives us is this one where we bring the things that are not yet complete, the things that feel amiss, and we hold it before God and we say, how long, God? How long do we have to wait for you to make this world right? Does that make sense? And so uh, because of that, there's all kinds of scriptures that are associated with this season. Uh, Advent's a moment where we hold the first and second coming of Jesus together. And there's a lot of different scriptures that are kind of like in this little season for us. And a lot of times we're accustomed to reading about the baby Jesus, but those are not the only scriptures that are available to us in this moment. Some of the scriptures that are available to us in this moment are ones that we might file under the category of apocalypse. Everybody in the room say apocalypse. Sounds scary, doesn't it? Uh, here's, here's what the word apocalypse means. Uh, it means revealing or uncovering. So for, for most of us who are Westerners or, you know, just Southerners here in America, the word apocalypse means something like the end of the world. But, but in a Bible sense, what it really means is it means revealing or it means uncovering. Uh, maybe it means revealing the world as it really is. Maybe it's the revealing of the world we thought it was only to find out that it's something different. That's an apocalyptic moment. But some of the scriptures that are associated with Advent are not just first coming scriptures, but they're apocalyptic scriptures. And that's what we're going to see this moment and this morning. So sometimes we have to adjust our thinking a little bit. Uh, one of the things I've been thinking about this week, after looking at the scripture that is on the docket for this Sunday morning, I've been thinking about how for most of my adult life, I think most of us have thought that the world was cohesive, you know, and that it made sense. Uh, we thought maybe our society was essentially steady. And one of the things I think most of us have probably discovered in the last two years in particular is that our world is not cohesive and our society is not very steady. Is that right? Can I tell you what that's called? That's an apocalypse. We've been living in an apocalyptic time where we thought it was one, one way, some things happen, and all of a sudden, everything in the world got revealed to be something different. Does that make sense? So we've been living, really, in a way, an Advent moment. Here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to read you the text out of the Gospel of Luke. This is chapter 21. Look at what Jesus says. He says, there will be strange signs in the sun, the moon and the stars. And here on the earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and the strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with, great, uh, with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen... Stand and look up, for your salvation is near. Then he gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree, or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene 
until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape the coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. It's the text this morning. Sweet, isn't it? You might be wondering, well, why is that the text? Uh, here's why that's the text. There's this thing called the lectionary. Uh, this is the one time of the year when the Vineyard Campbellsville falls into the lectionary readings, which are those prescribed readings from around the church. And this is the gospel passage for the first Sunday of Advent this year. So that's why this is our text. And one of the great things about the lectionary is, is that it keeps us from falling into the ruts of our favorite scriptures, right? It forces us to deal with the whole of the Bible. And uh, the reason this is an Advent passage is what I was telling you a moment ago. It's not just about the first coming of Jesus. This is a moment where we begin to anticipate the second coming of Jesus. And this text is one of those passages where Jesus says, hey guys, when you, see the, when you see the fig tree with leaves on it, or if you see any tree with leaves on it, nobody has to tell you it's summertime, right? And when you see the world shaken up, what should you be thinking? Something's happening. The kingdom of heaven is near. Get out, look up, get ready, stand firm, and, and don't waste your life with drunkenness and carousing, right? Yeah, that's basically what Jesus says. So I need to give you a little bit of history here before we dive into the text, because this little passage that we're reading this morning, it's actually a part of a longer thread of things that Jesus is saying. So if you look at Luke 21, Luke 21 begins with the disciples saying to Jesus, hey, isn't the temple amazing? So they're walking by the temple and they're all like, isn't the temple amazing? And Jesus looks over at the temple and he says something like this. He's like, it's not bad, but there's a day coming when the temple is going to be torn apart and not even one stone will be standing on another stone. And by the way, when, when we think about the temple, you and I think maybe like a little model or something, you know, maybe we've seen some some model of ancient Jerusalem that sat on a table and you're like, oh, look at that. It's a little temple. No, this thing was massive. This was Solomon's temple. It would have been, it would have, it would have, it would have held a place in their imagination, in their hearts that would have been bigger and more impressive than the White House or any capital, right? Like it would have been bigger and more grandiose. And imagine a, a stone building that was incredible in detail. Imagine something made like that in, in ancient times without a crane or without any, without any like machinery, right? So it would have been even more impressive. And Jesus says, yeah, that's impressive, but look out guys, there's a day coming when this thing's going to be torn to the ground. And no one, no one could have imagined that. No one could have imagined it. Uh, in fact, he says in verse 20, uh, which we are not going to put up, but I'll just tell you essentially what he says. Jesus says to the disciples in verse 20, he says, look, when, when, when the day comes that the city is surrounded, meaning Jerusalem is surrounded by soldiers, you'll know this is getting ready to happen. And if you're smart, you'll run for the hills. Okay. So time out. There's this temple stuff. It's big. Jesus says it's going to be torn down. No one can imagine it. Uh, Jesus says when the city is surrounded, you might want to take a, take a hike if you can. All right. So there's all that. 
Then on the other side, there's this Jewish historian named Josephus. Who, who in the room has ever even heard of Josephus? Anybody? If you ever had like an ancient history class, you probably heard of him. Josephus, uh, ancient Jewish historian, didn't write scripture, wrote his own history of the Jews. And it's from this time period. And Josephus tells us in 70 AD, everything that Jesus said actually happened. That the Romans came in, they sacked Jerusalem, and they tore the, the temple completely and utterly to the ground. And Josephus also tells us this, about a million people died in this siege, most of whom were Jews, right? So everything that Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 21, everything that he's talking about, Josephus is like backing up. It, this, these are things that actually happened. But here's, here's the interpretation complication. Can we do like four minutes of egg scrambling here for a moment? No one said yes. I don't know what to do now. Okay, those first 20 verses of Luke chapter 21, especially the first like 20, 23 verses or so, uh, everything, everything in those first 20 to 23 verses of Luke cha chapter 21, uh, those are things that we know for sure happened from Josephus. Like we know that Jerusalem was surrounded. We know tons of people died. We know that the Jews ran for the hills. Uh, we know that the temple was destroyed. Everything Jesus said was right on target, right? But, but it gets complicated for a couple reasons. Because one of the questions you ask, especially about the text that we read just a moment ago in verses 25 through 36, the questions that you might ask is, is something like this. Is the text here, is this, is, about, is this about something that happened in the past? Or is this about something that's gonna happen in the future? When I was reading that to you a moment ago, how many of you all were thinking like, when? I mean, were you thinking when? Like Ben's like, yeah, I was thinking when. Like Jesus is talking about like when you see the world get crazy, when you see things go nuts, when there's stuff in the heavens and when it's on the earth and when the fig trees are in bloom, like you don't have to be told it's summer, something is up, the kingdom of heaven is near. And how many of you in the room are like, man, I wonder when that is, right? If everything else in the chapter is past, is the things that Jesus is talking about in 25 through 36, is it in the past? Or is it ahead, right? Yeah, is it just something that happened? But if it's something that happened, what do we make about Jesus's words about seeing the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory? You remember that little phrase that we read a moment ago? Rachel, if you see it, you can put it up. Jesus says, hey, you're gonna see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. Did that happen? Or is that gonna happen? right? It, this thing gets really, really strange. Or in verse 32, verse 32, Jesus says that this generation wouldn't pass away from the scene until all these things take place. Like, wait a minute. Is Jesus talking about the generation who's standing in front of him? Like, the, uh, just imagine the disciples around him. Is Jesus saying, you guys, you won't pass away until you see all these things take place. Well, Josephus doesn't mention Jesus coming on the clouds with power and great glory. Uh, in fact, the Gospels don't in maybe the way that we would imagine. So is this past or is this future? Are we confused enough? What do we make of it? Either it happened in some way to the people that Jesus was talking to, or it's still future. So what is it? Well, 
Here's Pastor Adam's take. Um, I believe that the words of Jesus are faithful and true. And I think they're a good example of something that, A, happened, uh, something that will happen, and uh, to make it even more complete, something that is happening. So I think all of Luke chapter 21, I think the whole thing is something that happened, something that is going to happen, and something that is happening. Let's talk about happened with an ED first. I think we can say with a great deal of confidence that a lot of this has happened. We know it from the history. We know the temple was destroyed. And even details like the Son of Man coming in the clouds with glory and power, uh, there's a sense in which we can say that happened as well. That's a direct reference from Daniel chapter 7. We're just doing all kinds of Bible today. Uh, can we put up Daniel chapter 7? I, I want to show you just a couple Version, a couple verses from Daniel chapter 7. Daniel, in one of his visions, Daniel has this vision of like the kingdoms of the earth and there are these small horns that represent the kingdoms of the earth. Maybe, maybe if you've read some Old Testament, you remember this little part. And the small horns are making these great boasts. But then at a certain point, Daniel sees this vision. He says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Now, who, who, do, you think, who do you think that Daniel was seeing all those years ago, even before Jesus? I think he was seeing Jesus, wasn't he? And it's interesting that Luke is making this reference in the mouth of Jesus, that you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. I think that's something that's going to happen, but I also think we have to start here uh, at the beginning that it's something that happened. One of the things that the Gospels make very clear is that Jesus's power and his glory is when he was raised up on the cross. So our visions and our understanding of power and glory, they run counter to Jesus's vision and his understanding of power and glory. Gospel power and glory is, is the man, Jesus Christ, the son of man raised up on the cross, crucified. That's kingdom power. That's kingdom glory. So there's a sense in which everything that Jesus is saying here, even in 25 through 36, has happened. The son of man did come in power and in glory, and the generation before him did see it did see it, was about to see it, right? There's a sense in which this will also happen. We can say this will happen because the world still groans under the heavy weights of sin and shame and brokenness. How many of you know that the world is still groaning even right now? How many of you know that we need the Son of Man to come and uh, to show his power and, and to exercise his rule, his reign, and his authority like here today, right? Yeah, Jesus wasn't just speaking to a handful of men 2,000 years ago. Aren't you glad? Like that the words of Jesus are not just to a group of 12 2,000 years ago, but that it's for us. And so we know, we know for these reasons, because the world is still yet broken and because Jesus wasn't just speaking to 12 guys, that this, this is, these are words for us here this morning as well. And it's also happening. I think this is important. Not just happened, but it's also happening uh, we, can, we can say that it's happening because the world is still a place of apocalypse. We've been living through two, at least two apocalyptic years. I'm 43. I know for certain the last two years have been apocalyptic. We'll probably have some more apocalyptic years in the future. Uh, we can say that it's happening 
because Christ is here with us even this morning by the Spirit. What do I mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. We can't simply push everything off into the past as though it doesn't apply. It was just for a handful of men 2,000 years ago. And neither can we shove all of our hope into a distant future. One of the issues with second coming or future language is that it, pres it presupposes absence, you know? Like, if we lean so far into will happen, then it presupposes an absence of Jesus in the world. And the truth is, Jesus is in the world. Jesus is yet the ruler of the world even now. He is the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father even now. He is the world's one and true rightful ruler. There's a sense in which all of these things that Jesus is talking about in this text this morning, these are things that are happening. We've never been left alone. I want to say two things about this text for us this morning. The first thing I want to say is that God is near to us in trouble. I hope you notice the words of Jesus this morning. They're, they're words about moments of upheaval and trouble. But in this passage, he gives two promises of nearness. Verse 28, if we could put that up, that'd be awesome. In verse 28, Jesus gives a promise of nearness. It's the promise of salvation. He says, when you see all these things begin to happen, look, you need to stand and look up because salvation is near. One of the great promises of the kingdom is that in the midst of trouble, when you see, when you see the world get turned upside down, you actually need to stand and you need to look up because salvation is near. In verse 31, Jesus says that the kingdom is near. We can put that up. He said, in the same way, when you see all these things taking place, the world's upside down, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. When we experience trouble, church, and, and here's what I mean by that, not just personal trouble. We tend to personalize everything, right? When we experience trouble, and by that I mean like all of us trouble. When the world is baptized into trouble, global, worldwide difficulty, when the world goes mad, when the times change, and it's as obvious as the tree that gets its leaves, uh, the message of Jesus is this, don't lose heart. There's a kingdom that is near to us. And we can have hope this morning because we haven't been abandoned. We can light a little purple candle over here and it can be real hope to us because we haven't been abandoned. The truth is that in, in the craziest moments of the last two or three years, God's kingdom has been present. He's been at work. The presence of Christ is real in the world. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. Salvation is like everywhere. God is, has, has put the yeast of the kingdom in the dough of the world. It's like, it's literally everywhere. And you and I can have actual and real hope that isn't faking and that isn't denial because Jesus is not a liar. We can put our confidence in God. The second thing I want to say about this passage is this. I think Jesus is talking more about how than when. We, we read a passage like the one we looked at earlier this morning, and we think, well, when? Like, when's it happening? When's, when, when, when? And there's, there's a sense in which Jesus does give us some when, right? He's like, well, when you see the world go mad, like, it's pretty obvious. It's like when, it's like when you see... Trees get their leaves in the spring. You don't have to wonder what season it is. It's like, that's when. But, but sometimes we want to get our dispensational charts out, don't we? 
we want to make a map out of everything. And I don't think Jesus is making maps. I think he's mostly talking to us about how rather than when. And what I mean by how is like, how should we live in a world that's gone upside down? How should we live in apocalyptic times? People, people want to put up pictures of the end times. But Jesus doesn't play that game so much. What he does offer is some sober advice for how to navigate moments of apocalypse. He says a few things, but the main thing he says is this. Don't let your hearts be dulled. Rachel, can we put that up? He says, don't let your hearts be dulled. These are the words of Jesus. And some of us in the room might be thinking, well, who would have a dull heart? Who would have a dull heart during troubled times? Like if the world is upside down, who, who, would, who would let their heart go sideways? Well, here, here's what I want to say. I've noticed that it's one of the things that, ha that happens most in me. And I've noticed it in others. Have you ever noticed that? That when the world gets crazy, a lot of times the heart gets dull. Let me, well, let me say it another way. Uh, when we get anxious, when we get anxious, how many of us look for a distraction? Right? Let me, let me talk to you just for a moment about what we do. Well, here, here's what we've come through. Here's what we've come through in the last couple of years. We've come through COVID. And um, it looks like as of at least two days ago, there's another variant. Omicron. Everybody say Omicron. Why not? You're going to say it. Say it now or say it later. Yeah. We, we've had like, we've had almost two years of this. And, and guess what, people? It ain't over. It ain't over. Yeah. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Let me, I'll tell you one more little story. Like four weeks ago, I had to go have a procedure at the doctor, at the hospital, actually. Wasn't planning it either. It was 10% dramatic. But right before they put me under, and by under, I mean all the way under, the anesthesiologist leans over me, and we had just been talking about this like COVID moment we're living in. And he's like, hey, just so you know, we have three more years. And he pushed the button, and I went black. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what do I know? I'm not a doctor. I know nothing. I just know that we've had two years, and now there's something from some other part of the world called Omicron. It sounds like it does. I mean, it really does. It sounds like, it sounds like a Decepticon, doesn't it? There's another variant. We've, we've, just, we've come through it, and we're, and we're going to keep going through it. Uh, not only that, but, but right after COVID kicked off, we had, we had the George Floyd moment here in America where, where, the, where the scab of American racism got revealed again for what it really is. By the way, y'all, that's an apocalyptic moment. When you see a black man get his life choked out from underneath him in public, on camera, on camera, and everything that that moment, like, stirred up in America. How many of you know that was an apocalyptic moment? Like we thought world, the world was one way. And then what we find out is, oh, it's something really, really different. And if you've listened to anything that any of your black or Latin friends have had to say about America in the last two years, what you'll hear is a story that's very different than the one that most of us have grown up with. And what is that? That's apocalypse. 
We're living in apocalyptic times. Uh, not only that, you stack on top of the George Floyd racial moment in America, you stack on top of that the, the contentious political season. It extends even now. You know, it just won't go away. Like people would rather have a political team than a family. You know, that people would rather have a political team than a church. People would have, rather have a political team than maybe any other team. There's something about it. I mean, Heather and I have been talking about this for two years. It's a mind virus. I don't know what it is. The only way I can describe it is in the same way that like COVID can get in your body, politics in America can, can get in your brain and it makes you sick. It makes you, it makes you less of who you really are. It changes people's personalities. It changes the way they think. You could be raised in a decent home for 25 years, get hooped up on CNN or Fox news and in six months to a year become a different person. And it's, and it's forcing us to become even more polarized. The, the only thing that breaks through now is the most extreme opinion, you know? And, and you just stack all this on top. You got COVID, you got, you got this racial moment, you got contentious politics. And by the way, I mention this all the time, but it's, it, it just bears repeating. Like the robots are winning. I mean, it's kind of a funny way to say it, but it's like super serious. Like, like the, fir- the fourth thing I would stack onto this is we've become so digitally native, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg's talking about the metaverse. It's this idea that your digital life is going to become richer and more 3D. Well, I, I want to tell you, we've been living in the metaverse probably for five to seven years already probably at least that long. I mean, if you want to push it back to 2007, you can, because 2007 is when the iPhone came online. See, there was, there was social media before the iPhone, but when the iPhone came out, social media was what? It's with you 24-7, right? And so when the iPhone came out, by the time 2011 hit, especially with young people, but now this is also extended up into older people, one of the things that we found is that people will spend at least 50% of their day, 50% of their day on their phone. What does this mean? We're living somewhere else, right? We're living virtually. So Mark Zuckerberg's idea of like the metaverse, he's not selling you something new. He's only revealing what he's been doing the whole time. And the metaverse is the moment that we care more about our digital life than we do our real life, right? This is already happening. Uh, Why am I saying this? Because the robots, the algorithms are kicking in and the algorithms prefer contentiousness. They prefer the things that are the most over the top. If you want to be heard on the internet, you have to be extreme. And extreme, extreme opinions and extreme ideation, it, it drives us towards greater polarization because, because the algorithms will uptick that more than it will hey, here's a nice picture of my family. Isn't my puppy cute? What does this do to us? Guys, we're living in an apocalypse, right? This is a moment to actually take Luke chapter 21, 25 through 36 and take it seriously. Like take the words of Jesus seriously. By the way, we're the only generation in the history of the world that has that fourth thing living inside of it. The other three things, they've all happened before. They always happen. There's cycles of oppression. There's cycles of racism. There's cycles of domination. There's cycles of 
political polarization. Those have all happened before. Uh, there's cycles of plague. Like, we're not the only generation that's ever had a plague, you know? I mean, a few hundred years ago, my goodness, even in this, own, this country right here, smallpox destroyed America. Like, and then you go further back, like the Black Plague. Anybody ever read about that in England? We're not the first culture or the first people that has ever experienced that, those top three, but that fourth one, that's brand new. We're living in a moment that's profoundly, profoundly different. It's a time to pay attention to what Jesus is saying. Here's what I've realized in my life and in the lives of others as I look around. As anxiety goes up, we look to medicate. You stack those four things I've been talking about together, you, you put them on top of each other, and what you have is you have global anxiety. And when anxiety goes up, people look for a distraction. People want to medicate. Some people choose more internet. Some, cheap, some people choose alcohol, more alcohol. Some of us choose more movies, more reels. Sometimes when the world goes mad, you just, you just want to get away. In fact, one of the things that I've noticed growing in my own life over the last two years is just the desire to run away. Like literally run away. I've actually told Heather a thousand times, can I run away? Has anyone else said that in the last two years? Hey, what if we just sell everything we have and move to a van down by the river? <laughs> you have to be a 90s kid to understand that reference. But I've, I've been thinking about it. I'm like, you know what I would love to do? I would love to just sell it all and just leave. I would love to go where nobody knows my name. I want to live the opposite of cheers. I want to... <laughs> Totally, totally. How many of you know that these are not, these are not, these are not the real thoughts though, right? Like these are not God thoughts. Like, like the, the message of Jesus isn't run away. The message of Jesus is stand firm and go through it. Like the message of Christianity is not like look for a way out. The message of Christianity is how can we be faithful presence to God in the midst and go through, right? Like it's not like escape hatch theology, but I know that growing in my own mind and heart in the last two years is, can we just move? Can we leave? Hey, let's sell everything. Like our house is like, I don't know. It's probably, there's money. <laughs> I think, I don't know. Some other people have chosen isolation. In fact, a lot of people have chosen isolation. What started off with isolation, by the way, the first six, six weeks of isolation from COVID was freaking magical. I just, I wish we could do it every year, you know? It's like, but some people were just like, I'll take your isolation and I'll just, I'll raise your isolation and I'll see no one. I, I don't want to see anyone. In fact, there, there are still people I haven't seen, you know? It started out with fear about the virus, but now it's just a regular pattern. And people who were once steady and faithful followers of Jesus have just sort of like evaporated. They're just evaporated at home. They serve no one. So, like they, no interaction with any like community. It's just like, it's gone. Uh, can I tell you a really sad story? Uh, there are people who, who came to the vineyard for 15 years and I haven't seen them. They're gone. Like I literally don't know where they're at. What happened? Don't answer a text. Ghosted, right? Yeah. Disappeared. Jesus' words are for us. Jesus talks about carousing and drunkenness. Carousing, that's like an old-timey word for like a real humdinger of a party. <laughs> you know? 
And it's interesting how Jesus highlights these things. Jesus sort of like tells the story like this. Like when the world goes mad, it's an apocalyptic moment. And Jesus says, don't let your heart grow dull with carousing and drunkenness. How many of you understand Jesus is talking about more than just one or two wild parties? What is he talking about? He's talking about distractions. He's talking about distractions. You know what sometimes feels really good when like everything's nuts? You know what feels good? A bottle of wine. That's what feels good. It's wild, isn't it? Just another, like, oh, you know what I could use right now? I could use a drink. I could use a distraction or two. It's the impulse to live as though everything is fine, right? Like if the world's on fire and you have a big party, how many of you know you don't get it? That's what Jesus is putting his finger on, right? He's saying, he's saying, listen, don't let your hearts grow dull by pretending nothing's wrong. That's what he's saying here in Luke 21. Don't let your heart grow dull by avoiding. Don't let your heart grow dull by just watching more Netflix. Don't let your heart grow dull by doom scrolling for the next six months and losing the opportunity to engage the kingdom that is near. Uh, the impulse is to pretend. Jesus is saying in Luke, in, in Luke 21, stop pretending. Stop pretending that everything's fine. Everybody in the room who's addicted or anybody in the room who's living foolishly or anybody who's employing a strategy like that just to get by, Jesus is saying to us this morning, it's not the right strategy. Distraction, addiction, retail therapy, none of these will do. When the world goes nuts, when the leaves of the fig tree are clearly out, when even a kid can tell what season it is, it's time for something else. Instead, we should keep alert and pray. That's what Jesus says. He says, stay alert. And he specifically says, you need to pray. You need to pray. You need to pray. You need to pray. Uh, here's what I hear in that. Uh, we need an inner life. We need an actual inner life that keeps us connected to God. You know, like when the world goes nuts, when all these things, all four that I talked about a moment ago, when COVID and the fabric of our nation and the political polarization and the robots, when they all coalesce into one moment for things that are not awesome, uh, you need a strategy to keep your heart alive and it can't be distraction and it can't be to live as though everything were fine. It can't be just have another drink, throw a big party and pretend it's great. It can't be doom scrolling and Netflix. We need to stay alive. And the way we do that is, is to pray. We need anything that will keep us connected to Jesus. Jesus says, watch out for the dull heart. One of the things I would like to ask the church this morning to every single person in here, is, is my heart alive or, is, or has it grown dull? Have the things of God become uninteresting to me? Have the things of Jesus become like, ah, whatever, you know? Has, has life in community and the church, has it become kind of like a, eh, whatever. The invitation is to move towards the things that keep our hearts alive toward God. Things that keep God alive in our heart and mind. You know, that is, that's the stuff we need. Uh, we even talked about this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about getting a plan together for your life. You guys remember that a few weeks ago? We had had a little moment where we were talking about having a rule of life, like 
having a plan to become like Jesus. I just want to, I want to double down on this again. Like it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be grandiose. It doesn't have to be complicated. Everybody here needs a plan to become like Jesus. No one will become accidentally like Jesus. No one will accidentally wake up and just be like, well, I'm like the Lord. That was amazing. It was a long sleep. I went to bed at nine. I got up at five and look at that. I've become like Jesus. No, it, it'll require some kind of plan. We need, we need anything, anything in life. We need to implement anything we can to keep God alive in our mind and heart. Because everything in our culture is warring against you having a heart that's alive towards God. Like if it's, if it's just me going with the cultural flow, the cultural flow will lead me away from Jesus. The cultural flow will take me away from God. It will make the things of God seem boring to me. It will make the ways of Jesus seem obsolete. That's the, that's the cultural message right now. Jesus is obsolete. The things of God are boring. There's other stuff happening. It's probably online. Disassociate from actual people. Don't serve anybody. Just think about yourself. That's the cultural narrative. And unless we have some practices in place to keep God alive in my heart and mind, we'll end up miles away from Jesus in a world that's gone mad. But there's another invitation. It's easy to live a life that's floating in the flow of culture. Go to another show, have another gathering, plan another trip, join another travel ball team, another variant, more fear, more distraction. All of that leads to a duller heart. But this morning, I feel like Jesus is inviting us to let go of having a dull heart, to let go of that and to, to re-engage with him, especially in the domain of prayer. Like, like, figure out any way you can to be a prayer person. Like, any way you can. You know what? Uh, here's, here's the way I hate. I, I, I like prayer. I hate this kind of prayer. Prayer where I sit down on my couch or in my office and pray, like, just like sitting down. I hate that. I can't do it. Some of you all are really good at that. I literally can't do it. It took me years to figure this out. The only way I can pray is on the move. That's the only way I can pray. I got to like walk and pray. If I'm not walking, I, I literally can't hardly pray. My brain gets wild. It just, my brain is just super stupid. I, I'm, I'm literally, it just goes nuts. I can, I can sit in my office and pray for about three and a half minutes. But if I take a walk, I can pray and engage with God for an hour. And it's amazing. I can actually hear him talk to me, you know, like, do anything you can to have a life of prayer. It doesn't have to be an hour. It can be 10 minutes every day. Like Become someone who is, is doing things that are keeping the presence of Jesus alive in our minds and in our hearts. Like Find some ways in which we go counter to the cultural flow. Like Go right against the grain. Like This is a moment for us to go against the grain and some stuff. Otherwise, we're going to be swept away. The world's madness, it's not going to click off anytime soon. I was hoping it was going to click off. It's not. It's, I think it's going to just keep going nuttier. You know, we, we, need, we need to become people who are deeply rooted in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said this morning that when the world goes nuts, salvation is close. That when the world goes nuts, uh, his kingdom is breaking in. You know, uh, if we'll stay engaged with God, I think I think we can actually see some stuff happen that won't happen any other time. 
You know, there's a kind of salvation that's available when the world is nuts that just isn't available any other time. Now, here's the other thing I know from talking to lots of people. People are open to hearing about Jesus. Like you can talk about Jesus with people and they'll, they'll like turn their ear to you. People, people are open to hearing the good news of Jesus. People are open for someone to like listen to their story and respond with compassion and pray for them. People's hearts are wide open. The question is, am I even paying attention or has my heart become too dull? Amen? Amen. All right. Apocalypse. This is an apocalyptic moment. Amen. Hey, if you're on the band, come on up this morning. Uh, if you're in the house this morning, why don't you stand up? We're going we're gonna to sing another song. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time. <laughs>